0: Somebody look up 2 Kings 1425 for me. 2 Kings 1425. A little Bible drill going on here. 2nd Kings 1425. All right. I can. <laughs> Gloria, read it for me. Okay. 2nd
1: Kings 14.25. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of the Heribah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath.
0: All right. So in 2 Kings 14, we have a, an introduction to Jonah the prophet. So this is during the time of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was a lot like uh, Hezekiah. He was a lot like Herod. He was uh, kind of an administrative guy. He, he built things. And so Jeroboam, uh, he fixed a lot of things. He secured some borders. And, uh, and he, it was a relative time of peace. And Jonah was the prophet during that time. So last week, we talked a little bit about Jonah. He prophesied around 750-ish B.C. And that's important because in 722 B.C., remember it goes backwards. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians conquered the Northern Kingdom. So Jonah was a prophet of the Northern Kingdom. Remember, divided kingdom, Northern Kingdom, the capital was Samaria, Southern Kingdom, the capital was Jerusalem. Judah was the Southern Kingdom. Israel was the Northern Kingdom. Israel fell long before uh, Judah did. So Israel fell to the Assyrians, the, the group we're talking about, in 722 B.C. So we're 750 or so. We're, we're, we're three decades before that happens. Southern kingdom was Judah? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> southern kingdom is Judah. David was of the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem is the uh, the city of David. Uh, Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, the capital was Samaria, um, or maybe that was like a regional capital. We think there was a palace at uh, Samaria. We're not sure, but we think there was a a palace that Jeroboam II uh, occupied and that he had um, really made it pretty nice. Um, The reason we bring that up is because Assyria was in a relative time of peace as far as Israel is concerned. They had some other enemies. They also had, um, uh, had experienced a famine and an earthquake, a drought. They had had lots of things and filed that away because back then, especially, and maybe even a little bit now, when there's, a natural disaster, or a a famine, or an economic crisis, it, 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 back then, especially, it got everybody thinking about God's judgment, and, and as we will, as we learned uh, on Sunday morning, for the, the the people who were not in Israel, God was a little G God, it wasn't uh, Yahweh, that, the, the God, uh, the, the the that's uh, rendered Lord in your scripture, it was a God. Every every sailor prayed to their God, and so Assyria was ripe for the message that God had for it. Now, uh, I I just kind of throw that out there because we we think that Jonah has this abrupt message that God told him to give, and and. And then the Assyrians were so cruel that Jonah would be legitimately concerned for his own safety if he was going to go to uh, Nineveh to preach when they were just as likely to take your life as they were to take your message. And, And yet there had been some things going on that were supernatural in their eyes, a drought, a famine. Uh, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, and and they were thinking, what is it we've done to upset God? What have we done to to upset the gods? And so they were more ripe for Jonah's message than Jonah realized. And we'll get to that when we look at chapter three, of course. But uh, uh, just setting the stage, when God said to Jonah, you need to go and preach because their evil has the stench of their evil, so to speak, has reached me. Um, we actually get a little hint as to what that evil was, not so much in the message that Jonah preached, but in the response of the king. So next week, when we talk about Jonah chapter three, we'll see that the king said, We've got to stop doing some things. And he listed a few things that they needed to stop doing. And it was like there was a realization that the way they were treating each other uh, was almost as bad as the way they treated enemies. That, That they had begun to be just as cruel with each other in their own culture as they were to enemies that they conquered, And so the, the the evil of Assyria had reached God. Now, just a a reminder, where was uh, Assyria? Where was Nineveh? Um, North north. north and east. Modern day Iraq. Okay. Nineveh is right across the river from modern day Mosul. And, um, we, if, if you remember back in the news a few years ago when ISIS was uh, really a big thing over there, uh, ISIS was the, the, the most radical form of Islam, and they, they wanted to eradicate anything that wasn't Islam. And so they began to destroy uh, our uh, archaeological sites. And they actually bombed the temple of Jonah, the the, the uh, tomb of Jonah uh, at Nineveh, and begin to break down the walls. Now uh, they were defeated rather quickly at the time, and and the damage that they uh, uh, did was not catastrophic. But uh, that, that's the that, that, that's the the world that we're talking about. And so Jonah was told to go north and east and he went south and west and we talked about that some Sunday that uh, that you know go to Alpharetta Buckhead it is and uh, the exact opposite direction and 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 over and over in chapter one he was fleeing from God he was fleeing from God so let me just remind you of four themes of Jonah that we'll revisit today, but also next week and the week after the, the, the prevailing theme in Jonah, God is sovereign over everything. God is God and we are not. And we, in our pride think we need to control things. God has reminded me as a dad this week, I can't control things. And, and, Jonah needed to be reminded that God is God and he is not. Number two, God is determined to get his message to the nations. He will not isolate his love, his gospel. Uh, What is it in in Matthew? When this gospel is preached to all the nations, then the end will come. That, that, That God has been relentless from the very beginning about wanting to make sure. Now, yes, the Jews were his chosen people. Yes, the gospel was given first to the Jew, then to the Greek. But from the very beginning, God was interested in his message of love and care and covenants to reach the entire world. Jonah was the only minor prophet, the only prophet in the scripture that was specifically tasked with preaching to Gentiles. So God is sovereign over all the earth. God is determined to get his message to the nations. People need to repent from sin in general, but specifically pride, hypocrisy, Mm. self-centeredness, racism, nationalism, arrogance. Those were the specific things that Jonah was supposed to speak against. And ironically, it was revealed that he struggled with those things and God needed to help him understand his own need to repent before he could actually preach that message somewhere else. And then number four, God promises that he will forgive when people repent. God's forgiveness is not conditional. It is it is waiting for us to receive it. All right. Jonah sets up to where there's a lot of uh, patience in God's economy in that even when Jonah was maybe not very sincere about his repentance, we'll get to that in a minute, God still forgave him. God still, as we will see in the very first line of chapter 3, A second time God said to Jonah, a second chance God gave to Jonah, a second calling God gave to Jonah. God is a God of second chances. And and we set that up today. All right. So Sunday we talked about God's calling. God's call is God's call, even if it doesn't make sense to us. Running, we can run from God. We run from God when we can't trust that he is planning for our good. God, I can't see how this is going to be my for my good. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna handle this one for you. I'm not gonna trust you on this one. Uh, three, revealing sin has a funny way of creeping into the light, and then four, reckoning, recognizing the reason for the storm is the key to calming the sea. Sunday was a cliffhanger, uh, chapter one, verse sixteen. The sailors threw Jonah overboard, and then we stopped and said, next week, same bat time and same bat chat. Batman was in a vice, and we didn't know if he was going to be saved or not. So chapter 1, verse 16, let's go back there. Scripture says, At this the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord made vows to him, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Verse 1 of chapter 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and then verse 10 is the only other time the fish is mentioned. We tend to think Jonah is all about the fish, but the fish is only mentioned four times in the whole story. Jonah's not mentioned as many times as God So God is a central character in this story. So let's sort of break that down. The Lord provided, verse 17. Anybody's uh, scripture use a different word there? I like the other word better than the new international. Appointed. Appointed. I ordained. God God uh, directed God commanded uh, God s- spoke to the fish he, he spoke to the prophet he spoke to the fish and now he appointed the fish he, he got his sovereign over everything um psalm 8 he he put all things under his feet the sheep the oxen the beasts of the field the fowl of the air the fish of the sea Everything that God ordains, he put in the care of man, but he is still sovereign over all. So he commanded the fish. He ordained the fish. He appointed the fish. And the fish swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, um, is that a problem for anybody? that a fish swallowed a man and that he lived three days inside the fish? Is that a problem for anybody? Everybody good with it?
1: Well, I mean, the fact that Jesus was good with it, I mean, who what, what am I to say? Nope, that's not, I'm not good with
0: that. Yeah, Jews, Jesus called himself the second Jonah. Matthew chapter 12. All right, so Jonah is... The comparison with Jesus stops with the act of the sailors. They sacrificed Jonah to the sea. Three days, he was in the belly of the whale. Jesus was sacrificed by the father for the sins of man. And for three days, he was in the earth. Now, I don't want to open it up. But that sort of insists on a Thursday crucifixion. Good Thursday was really probably when Jesus was crucified. Because if the three-day clock works out, three days and three nights, we know that Jesus rose on Sunday morning, Friday night, Saturday night, uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Three days, three nights. Now, again, we don't know that. There's there's that speculation based on putting some scripture together. But don't be married to Good Friday as a sacred thing that makes or breaks your faith. Um, Jesus was comparing himself to Jonah because Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish. Now, what do you figure it was
1: like down there? Stinky. (laughs) Um, Slimy Slimy and stinky. (laughs) Well he has being digested. Yeah,
0: I mean you, you count your fingers every couple hours.
1: <laughs>
0: probably bleached white. Dark. Dark. Seaweed. Dark. Yeah, I, I, nothing says the fish quit eating. <laughs> so there's probably incoming. Um guess Jonah had sushi to eat. Yeah, he had sushi. He was sushi. Um actually Everybody just just listen for a minute. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to God. He heard my voice from the temple. Deep calls to deep. At the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. Psalm 42, 7. Psalm 31. For I said... In my haste, I am cut off before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. All of those are psalms, but in Jonah's prayer, and most of chapter two is Jonah's prayer. In Jonah's prayer, we see hints of the psalms. So think about this. We don't know when Jonah finally got around to writing his prayer down. Okay. We're fairly sure nobody overheard it. We're pretty sure that he didn't write it down at the time. I would doubt that he had a scroll and a pen. And I know he didn't have a candle. So he prayed. How, How did he know these words? How did he recall these psalms? How did he form the words of his prayer using the familiar words of so many other
1: Because he knew them so well.
0: Exactly. Exactly. They, they, were, they were in him. And, and he didn't know they were in him. You know, he's a rebellious prophet. He's not wanting to sing the songs of faith. Everybody's praying to their God. And what did Jonah do? Taking a nap. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to the to the lowest part of the ship, and I'm going to sleep. And yet, when he is in the whale, in verse chapter two, verse one, in or verse two, in my distress, I call to the Lord. He answered me from the depths of the grave, or Sheol. Uh, he called. I called for help. You listen to my cry. These are the words of the psalmist, and he recalled those words. Because when we plant scripture in us, at a time of need, scripture comes out of us. And that's what happened with Jonah.
1: And that's why Bible drills and why we work with Bible so much with our little kids, I can tell you. we try
0: Why we to have vacation Bible. That's, that's why we have vacation Bible school. That's why we uh, that we make sure that children are given a Bible when they get in first grade, that's that's why.
1: It does not return void.
0: It does not return void. And even when we don't understand it, when we don't understand what he's doing with us, Bill, even when we don't understand it, he still uh, brings that scripture to mind.
1: And that's another reason for children to go to choir, because when you memorize scripture through music, when you're being wheeled into the operating room, that's what comes to your mind. Learning scripture through music, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you, Robert.
0: So, question Is Jonah's prayer his eight verse prayer? Is it a prayer of deliverance? Is it a prayer of supplication? Is it a prayer of worship? Is it a prayer of thanksgiving?
1: What kind of prayer is it? I mean, it's a. To me, I'm looking at verse four, and it seems like at least there's a. It's a prayer of hope. I mean, he says right here that he he knows he's going to look upon his holy temple.
0: Okay, so it's a. He he expresses confidence in the Lord. Yeah,
1: testimony.
0: Testimony. Does he ever one time say, Lord, get me out of here? It seems implied that he knows he's gonna get him out of there. Well, he's still alive. Yeah. And and he he's been taught that God is sovereign. He 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 he's been taught to to have hope and and to look for uh, the, the very best, but but he simply declares. Verse 9, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. It, it, it sort of caught my attention that that there's a, maybe an unwilling maturity here. You know, if I was in such a bad situation, I'm afraid I'd spend a lot of time praying to get out of the situation. You know? Yes. Yeah, I'm just being honest, I, I'm i afraid that if I'm in a situation like this, I, I'm probably not saying in my distress, I cried out to you. You did this. You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep. Uh, you did this. The sailors didn't throw me overboard. God, you did. You put me here that I might praise you. But so like he knew where he was going and what God's intention was and what direction that fish was going. Uh, yeah. And he, he, he understood that he had disobeyed the Lord. He, he understood that he'd gone the opposite direction. He says, I, I've been banished from your sight. We can pray anywhere. Anytime. No predicament is too great. No. Uh, no circumstance is uh, too overwhelming. All right. You cast me into the deep, not the sailors, God. I've been cast out of your sight. Did you pick that up? Verse four, I've been banished from your sight. Anybody remember David's prayer in Psalm 51? Cast me not. Away from your presence, oh Lord. In the Hebrew mind, the greatest terror would be to be banished from the sight of God, to be banished from the presence of God. Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. I will, I will sing the joy of my salvation. I will teach others your ways. And Jonah seems to be picking up King David's um, uh, mindset. I, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. It's like
1: one Psalm 139
0: when it says, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Right, right. Where there. can I go from your presence? Which was the play on words from chapter 1 where he said, it said twice in verse one, chapter one, he he was fleeing from the presence of God. So he was running away from God. And now his greatest fear is that he will not be where God is. It, it's, it's a remarkable personal revival that's going on. It's not complete. Jonah never got it right. But in this particular uh, circumstance, we see the beauty of the wine press, right? We see the, 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 the absolute beauty of what God is doing. Uh, an interesting thing there when he says, I will see your holy temple. When you have been to Israel, those of you that have been, you learned a phrase from the people there when you left. They said to you, next year, in Jerusalem because there is an expectation on the part of the Jews that they will reassemble around the temple next year in Jerusalem. And that, that, that is the greeting. That's the part of parting greeting in the United States. If they're, if they celebrate the Sabbath in uh, New York city at the end of the Sabbath, at least somebody's going to say to somebody else next year in Jerusalem. Because there's an expectation that they will go where they understand the presence of God.
1: What, what chapter of verse is? No, this
0: is Jewish. Oh, this is Jonah said that in verse four. Uh, he said, "If I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again in your holy temple." They thought the temple was the presence of God. So he said, "I've been banished from your sight." David said, in Psalm fifty-one: "Cast me not away from your presence, Lord." Don't don't let me be separated from your presence. And for the Jew, the presence was the temple. Now, Jonah was likely talking about the temple in Samaria because he he didn't prophesy in the southern kingdom. He he didn't prophesy in Jerusalem. So he wasn't talking about uh, Solomon's temple. He was talking about whatever temple was in Samaria. The engulfing waters threatened me. (laughs) I bet he did. Every time that fish swallowed. Um, He says, as my life was slipping away, verse 7, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, to your presence. And now he begins to prophesy. But let's, let's stop there for a second. The Jonah in all of us. That, uh, that inconsistency, that uh, I'm, I'm fleeing from God, I'm crying out to God. I'm sinning against God, I'm confessing to God. I'm praising God, I'm cursing God. That up and down inconsistency, it's not new, and it's not unusual. We all have that. He says, he, he says, And the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me uh, barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Um, In Tim Keller's book, I showed you this book uh, last week. Um, I've I've really, really enjoyed this book as I've studied in this series. Tim Keller's book, Rediscovering Jonah. Uh, He says something remarkable about uh, uh, this particular wordplay, play. He said, um, uh, he said, uh, when we reject and disobey God, as Jonah did, it takes radical treatment to be remedied. Need a wake up call. Need, need something big. But then he says, The text has been depicting Jonah as descending. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship. He went down in the lowest part of the ship. He went over the side of the ship, down into the depths. So the text has been Jonah is descending. That's that's not an accident. It's a metaphor that that the writer wanted us to have. But listen to this. This is Peter Craigie who says this quote: "Not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. <clears throat> he had to go all the way down before the Lord could bring him back up." And so. There was a a flaw in Jonah's character, a flaw in my character, a pride, an arrogance, a a self-sufficiency. I can do it. I know better. God, I, I don't want the Ninevites to be saved because I know that you'll save them if I go over there and I don't like them. You don't know how cruel they are. And God could have said, you don't even know they're going to conquer you in 30 years. But I still love them. I still want them to repent from their evil. He points out that this principle works it out, uh, that if Jonah was to begin finally to ascend, both in the water and in faith, he had to be brought to the very end of himself. But it is not simply being at the bottom that begins to to change Jonah, but it's prayer at the bottom. When when he didn't know what else to do, he prayed. And he prayed a prayer of worship and thanksgiving. And if you read between the lines, repentance. Then he declares his commitment to God. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I, 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 the, the wording there is so exquisite. Do you, do you see it? The ones who chase after worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And I look at around me at the, the people that make worthless choices. And even when I make worthless choices and and when I make worthless choices, when I, when I try to fix it, when I rely on my own self-sufficiency, I cling to idols and I forfeit the grace that could be mine. And I'm not talking about saving grace. I'm talking about the difference between hanging on to religion and moving into relationship. Can I find grace through religion? Sure. I worship God. I obey God. I study his word. I'm confident that in his word he promises me salvation in Christ Jesus. But there's a big difference in an uncle protecting a child that's in his care and a father loving a child that's in his care. And, 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 and grace means that we understand that God loves us. He, he draws us to himself. He, he's willing to work through the pain of grace. And so the, the grace that Jonah was missing out on, he, he, he was called. He was chosen. He was a prophet. He, was a, he lived in the palace. Mouthpiece of God. Never without resources. Respected. But he didn't understand what it meant to see God as Father. And he's getting there. So he says, those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, I, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I will go where you tell me to go. I will do what you tell me to do. Because all of a sudden I realized now, granted, I'm getting more bleached by the day. (laughs) I'm wondering how my, what's getting digested. I I wonder when, you know, I'm gonna be part of the circle of life here. (laughs) But I know that I'll see the goodness of God. And he finally came to the end of himself. And then one of the most graphic verses in the Bible, the fish said, enough of you, and he vomited him on the beach. Now he still had a ways to go. There, there are people who think that this fish projectile vomited him all the way to Nineveh. That's that, that's silly. He still had he still had to trek a thousand miles from the Mediterranean to uh, Iraq. He he still had a ways to go, and we'll pick that up next week. That that God called him a second time, and this time he arose and went in the direction that he was supposed to go. But he had to make it from the. the, the there's there's no ocean uh, beach in Iraq. Well, the whole thing's a beach, but it's it's <laughs> it's uh, it's not an ocean beach.
1: What sea was all this supposed to be taken? Mediterranean. Okay.
0: So Joppa is Jaffa, which is just south of Tel Aviv. And these were Phoenician sailors. And and most people think Tarshish was Spain. So he was trying to go to Europe. He was trying to get as far away from what God was telling him as possible. And God said, no, I, I'm going to need you to go northeast. And so the fish spit him up on the beach. And now he's finally ready to do what he's supposed to do. I um,
1: can't believe it took him. I mean, he he, 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 walked, <laughs> he walked. No, when he got back on land, he walked because, I mean, if he walked, it said in
0: here, it says it took him three days to get to Nineveh. No, it took so, him three days to get across also, Nineveh. Oh, that, that Nineveh was so big that it was three days to walk across it.
1: Yeah, largely three days to go through. Okay, well then if a thousand miles. How long did it take him to get to minimum from he
0: probably did the way he was supposed to do the first time? He had camels. He oh, had okay. he had
1: wells.
0: Oh, okay. We don't know. All we know is that he decided to go the opposite direction at first. And then when he repented, he went in the direction he was supposed to go. We'll we'll pick up that part of the story next week.
1: It's like you said, God's gonna get his gonna get his job done with or without your cooperation. So make it easier for yourself and just do it. I think Jonah
0: would have been sadder <clears throat> if God had said, okay, I'll just use somebody else. Sometimes I feel like that's what happens today.
1: Yeah, you feel more guilty.
0: Yeah, we miss the opportunity and God uses somebody else. But he wanted us to see his persistence with Jonah. He wanted us to see that he wasn't giving up on this prophet. He had called him to do something and he wanted him to do it. And he wasn't going to give up on it. And, and I, I I take so much comfort from that that we understand that God is not given up on us. All right. So end of Jonah 2, 9. It's very obvious that Jonah has repented. I will sing a song of sa- thanksgiving I will sacrifice to you. Now we all we all know that the repentance of Jonah was short-lived. Okay. We know that the repentance of the city of Nineveh was short-lived. I mean, 30 years later, they burned northern kingdom to the ground. So so repentance is. Is kind of something that we need to renew, right? First uh, John one nine. If I confess my sins, He's faithful, He's righteous, forgiven. Well, that's that's a daily thing. Uh, uh, Bill Bright called it spiritual breathing in Campus Crusade. That we breathe out our sins in confession. We breathe in God's forgiveness in worship, and and that confession is an ongoing posture that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So there is a, a sense that uh, it's, it's another sermon and another text, but, but just for us, we know that repentance is one of the ways that we stay in vital, uh, dynamic, intimate relationship with God. We, we, we clear the air, so to speak. It's a son saying, dad, I've, I've been wrong. So Jonah is vomited from the fish. Somebody, uh, probably a middle schooler said, there's another play on words. The sailors hurled him into the sea and the fish hurled him out of the sea uh, because hurl is apparently a euphemism for vomit. Mm-hmm. So he is out after three days. And this is where Jesus said that in three days, Jonah spent in the belly of the fish. Three days, I will spend in the belly of the earth for the salvation of man. So there was, of course, a double edged thing with Jonah because he was speaking to the salvation, not only of the sailors on the ship, but also of the city of Nineveh. Okay, so now he's on dry land, and that's where we got to leave him before we uh, grab into next week. But uh, I wrote down a few observations and a few questions, all right? One, Jonah was sent by God to the Assyrians. He ran from the task, and God captured his attention. And I think he does that to me all the time. Sometimes I don't even realize I'm running from God until some circumstance captures my attention. It it may not be as grave as the belly of the whale, but but sometimes I don't even know how much I'm running from God until I, I encounter some circumstance that just swallows me up. Number two, Jesus made it very clear to the religious leaders of his day that the stubbornness of Jonah was also in them. He he made it very clear that their stubbornness would be judged. The people of Nineveh responded to God's word, but Jonah didn't. And, And so Jesus made it very clear That stubbornness, pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, that is a very big deal. And for a lot of the religious leaders of the day, it was what it was that caused that grace to be left on the table. Three, God appointed the fish. He he appointed the fish. He, He commanded the fish to swallow him. And then in verse 10, he commanded the fish to spit him up. Again, God's sovereignty over nature, God's sovereignty over humanity, God's sovereignty over sin. So he Keller says it this way: J.I. Packer is right in saying that Jonah like many of us, gives lip service to the idea of grace. But we don't grab onto a grace that profoundly changes us. If I know I am loved no matter what, if I know that I am forgiven no matter what, I, I did a pre-marriage counseling thing right before I came in here tonight. And, and part of that conversation is the, the way the relationship changes in marriage. That all of a sudden the things that that upset you, they're still going to upset you, but there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's love, there's intimacy. And, and in that relationship, when when you come into the church as me and me and you leave as we, then then that is the fundamental change. All other relationships are altered. And Packer says that when we apprehend that grace means that we are held by God in a way that is profoundly changing. Whatever we were before, we're not now. It's Paul after Damascus. Isn't that Paul who used to put them in jail? No. That's a changed man. That's that's, that's a different man. And may that be said of us. What made the difference? It's grace. It's, it can't be the same when the radical love of God is, is in you. Packer went on to say, we have to remind ourselves of three fundamental truths. One, we deserve nothing but condemnation. Two, we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves. And three, God has saved us, despite our sin, at infinite cost to himself. At infinite cost to himself. We are all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would embrace him, whoever would, would wrap themselves in that grace, would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. And in 1 Peter, he said it is the will of God that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so we, we get the fullness of the message of grace in the gospel. Jonah, of course, didn't have it. some questions, not for you to answer here necessarily, but for you to think about. Number one, how do you listen to God? What does it take for you to stop running and start listening? Number two, is there a difference in your willingness to listen to God when he's correcting you rather than inspiring you? When I'm in Sunday morning worship, and I'm singing the hymns that I love, the songs that I love, when I'm just in the moment, am I more open to correction then? Am I, am I more open to what God is telling me then? Or when I am in a situation where I'm getting to the end of myself and I just need to listen? Number three. Is there a difference in our repentance when we're trying to avoid consequences? And then when we realize with all our heart that we've offended God. Is there a difference in the way we pray when we're just trying... He didn't pray, get me out of this fish. That was what was so beautiful about Jonah's prayer. He said, I have offended God. I, I... I have, um, how did you say it? I, I, I've been banished from your sight. Uh, from the depths of the grave, I, I called for help. I, I called out to the Lord. Uh, if I'm praying to get out of consequences, I, it's, I'm settling for a really small God. If I'm praying That he will wrap his arms around me and help me understand how much I've offended him with my thoughts, my actions, my reactions. If if I can grasp how much God hates sin and that I've offended him, my repentance is so sweet and my forgiveness is so welcome. uh, Number four. Have you ever prayed a prayer? in desperate circumstances that you later realized was more of a prayer to deliver you from the consequences than it was to realign you with God. I think all of us have. All right. Next week, Jonah chapter three, a God of second Chances. And uh, we will pick up there. Any questions, comments? We do have
1: one online. We have someone who's asking if you could repeat those questions. To yes. Run them again. Absolutely.
0: Um, number one, how do you listen to God? Does it ever take something extreme to get your attention and cause you to stop running and start listening? Number two is there a difference in your willingness to listen when God is correcting rather than inspiring? Is there a difference in your willingness to listen when God is correcting rather than inspiring? Three, is there a difference in our repentance when we are trying to avoid consequences as compared to when we admit that we have offended God? The depth of our repentance. Is our prayer different? Number four, have you ever prayed a prayer of desperation only to confess later that it was more of a prayer uh, to have relief from unpleasant circumstances than it was to truly repent?
1: I got something real quick, uh, maybe. I'm just going back to verse 17 in chapter 1, where we're talking about the appointing of the great fish. And that is always, it strikes me that in the middle of all this stuff going on on top of the water, God had already prepared. I mean, this fish didn't just like all of a sudden just appear. God had already coordinated and arranged for that thing to be there. And it reminds me that. When we're going through our storms, when we're going through our rebellions, that God has already provided for our redemption. Uh, and there's just an appointment that's waiting to happen. He's already ahead
0: of us, but God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The fish is already swimming under the boat. <laughs> All right. Love you guys a lot. And we will see you next Wednesday or this Sunday. Well, for me, next Wednesday. All right. Bye, y'all.